In this episode of Emergence, we learn about the recent GFRA Scientific Congress, and we hear about two very different meetings that are coming up early next year. Welcome to this edition of Emergence, hosted by me, Alastair King, Director of International Veterinary Health for MSD Animal Health. We're just going to get straight into it because we've got a lot to pack in. And we're going to now hear about the Global Foot and Mouth Research Alliance meeting, which occurred in October, and learn a bit about what's happening with foot and mouth. Joined now by Kasia Bankowska. Kasia works for us in our R&D team, but originally used to work in Perbright on foot and mouth disease. This year, when the, we had the Global Foot and Mouth Research Alliance Scientific Congress in Bangkok in October, we thought we'd send Kasia because she's the person who knows more about FMD than anyone else, I think. Kasia. <laughs> Did you really please you? It's a little bit of an exaggeration, Alistair, but it's nice nice that I have had the opportunity to join the um the conference and uh, it was really nice to catch up with the with the environment and the uh, the community. Am I right in thinking this was actually your first time going to this conference? Correct. I have been uh, working in food and mouth uh, disease research for several years, but I had not had the opportunity to um, join the meeting or participate in the meeting before. It was in Bangkok this year? Correct, and Bangkok is a fantastic place. But really what I would like to emphasize is the fact that the, the meetings, um, actually the Jeffrey meetings, are held in the geographical area where food and mouth disease is present, and it really touches the livelihoods of the local people. It is fantastic that um, that the international community and the food and mouth disease experts can come together in an area which really is affected by the burden of the disease. But not only that, it is also that the scientists that are involved working directly with the disease can come and join these meetings more readily and and therefore the community can benefit from the really hands-on knowledge and experience of the virus. I've been to this congress a couple of times in previous years. There's always been a really good mix of lab-based work and field-based work. Did that come over again this time? Absolutely. We had some fantastic presentations from um, from lab-based scientists, but also a lot of insight from people who work um, in the field, not only in Southeast Asia, where the conference was based this year, but also from Africa and um, and then sort of insights from 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 Central Asia as well. So from that point of view, it is very, very valuable, the, the, the combination of uh, field data and lab-based data benefits everyone. One of the fascinating things with foot and mouth disease is the number of different strains we're dealing with, the lineages, and they tend to be restricted to certain zones, certain areas. And we can look at a, a world map and almost say what is going to be in which area. And then every so often it changes. Something else comes out, we get new lineages and new strains spreading. That's certainly been happening in the last 12 to 24 months. I imagine there was a lot of discussion over those shifts and what people need to be thinking about. You are very correct. It is 
particularly important to understand which uh, strains are currently present in which geographical areas. Obviously, the type of strains that are being in the endemic areas um, motivates the use of different vaccines and different contro control strategies. And the incursion of new strains is always uh, very critical, critical for the countries to understand. Strain that has been particularly active recently is uh, called is, is an O strain for the mouth disease uh, serotype O strain called India 2001. And this strain actually emerged from the Indian subcontinent and spread rapidly throughout the whole area of where for the mouth disease is endemic. So currently it affects areas in Southeast Asia, continues to stay in the, um, in the Indian subcontinent, but it also spread into the Middle East and Central Asia and as far as North Africa. So this spread of a, of a one particular lineage and so rapidly is actually um, quite unique when it comes to for the mouth disease virus. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned vaccines and you just mentioned the future as well. That's a really major area for research. I think traditional mouth vaccines have actually worked very well. We've done good things with them. We've managed to get rid of the disease in a number of countries. Europe, for example, is looking really positive for Latin America as well at the moment. But we do see a need for new vaccines, especially in Africa and the South African territory strains, the SATs, which are difficult with traditional vaccines. Was there a lot talked about the new types of vaccines coming up? What, what do they look like? Oh yes, oh yes. I think that there is a lot of positivity that people should be focusing on. So there is a lot of research happening into developing new type of vaccines, but also into the use of existing vaccines into um, into in different areas that they had been previously used. The interesting idea is that um, many research institutions and pharmaceutical companies are coming together to 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 really develop. Um, uh, uh, new types of vaccine, and perhaps yes, the depth of research is combined with the ability, ability to or understanding how the vaccine should or would work in the field. So people are working on uh, antigenetically uh, anti marked vaccine. This is sort of a conventional type, but perhaps one that allows um, uh, better understanding of of the distribution of the virus in the of the vaccine in the field. Um, there is an idea of a baculovirus induced vaccine, and the use of vaccine-like particles um, uh, that would obviously be um, a safer option of a virus. So yes, there is a lot of hope, but um, I also think that uh, it will be some time before a vaccine, a novel vaccine, will be introduced in the field and will be available to the user. The new types of technology are very exciting, but exactly as you say, it's going to be a number of years till we have those in the field. That's very important because we can't have people waiting, thinking, oh, there's something new coming in the future. We're, we're not going to do anything now. We need to be tackling this disease. It, it has so much impact on some of the poorest people in the world. We need to be trying to get it under control, which we can do with the traditional vaccines. Eradication may well take new vaccines coming up, but I, I really believe we can get this disease much better under control than we currently have. The supply of good quality vaccine has been a problem, and it is a problem for many communities. So um, 
The take-home message is that there is huge demand for good quality vaccine to get the disease under control. I think it is very important to educate people that what is a good vaccine, and but the problem is the supply. So often people choose a vaccine rather than vaccine that can protect. Yeah, we have a responsibility, I think, as manufacturers that we need to get better at getting that capacity up so we're able to fill that demand. On a slightly different thing, Math is research is quite strange. I've always thought that we have some really incredible stuff being done, this new forward-looking stuff, and I think we still have some gaps in old knowledge, and that's not being looked at quite as much as as think we should. But I saw some some things about this meeting, and there was some discussion on the lab tests being used for matching of vaccine strains. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Knowing and monitoring the effectiveness of vaccine against the local strain is vastly important for controlling food and mouth disease in endemic areas. But the ability to match a vaccine against a field strain is also critical for implementing fast and accurate vaccination strategy should the vaccine, should the virus be introduced into countries where it is normally absent. And this is what the vaccine matching technique is being used for. So for the for to be able to precisely predict whether a vaccine would protect against a field strain is important for endemic and, um, and exotic areas. However, the current assay doesn't always provide us with very, very definite answer. People are trying to work and really putting a lot of effort into understanding how this can be improved and how can it be taken forward. Some of the problem seems to be the relationship between this vaccine matching test and the potency of the vaccine as well. So even when we're seeing some matching not working, high potency vaccines still seem to give some cover? Correct. At the moment, the current method doesn't um, provide information on whether the vaccine is potent or not. The current method only talks about the in vitro, so laboratory interactions between the vaccine strain and the field virus. So the direct comparison to or uh, direct relatedness to potency of a vaccine cannot be assessed based on this method. There are some other methods that that could possibly afford this correlation and they do offer this correlation, but they are not uh, they are not applicable to all vaccines. Yeah, so people need to keep an eye on that and it might be a good thing for us to talk a bit further about that in a future podcast. It's such a deep area for people to, to understand. What do you think during this conference, what do you think was the most innovative idea that you heard? There were very many innovative ideas. I don't think I can pinpoint to one. I think what is important is that there were, there is the breadth of innovation and the new ideas coming into the field of developing vaccines, the improvements in diagnostic, also to understanding what, what infectivity of the virus is and when it really starts and when it really stops. I think it's not one idea that sticks out. It's the fact that there so many groups working so actively and bringing innovation and new interpretation into our understanding of the virus and the virology of food and mouth disease. I mentioned earlier, it's, I think it's a great community, the food and mouth research community. There's some real characters in that community. I'm not going to name any names. I might get in trouble. <laughs> 
But I think the the chatting around in the evening is part of where those ideas get thrown around as well, and that's where some really new ideas for things to come about. Absolutely, Jeffrey was fantastic in enabling colleagues to talk informally, to mingle, to exchange ideas, and to foster new collaboration. Such an inviting and and, and easy atmosphere that uh, that is that that really enables this type of activities these are crucial really these are this time for people to come together to talk and to foster new relationship and um, it's really important for 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 research to move forward gfra is every two years if i remember correctly. correct correct <laughs> do you know where the next one is going to be did they say or is that still yeah. Um, so GFRA is moving continents, and the next one is going to be in Argentina. Wow, that will be quite interesting. Very different problems in Argentina, and hopefully Absolutely. by Absolutely, absolutely, it's not quite an endemic area, as you mentioned. So, far. so uh, Latin America was um, has been quite successful in combating the disease. Of course, there's certain challenges that that continent is facing at the moment. But I I believe it is vastly important that we learn from the experiences of of the scientists um, there uh, and perhaps understand more how they have managed to control the disease so effectively. Yeah, what we're seeing there is part of what I really believe. It's it is important we get new vaccines for the future, but actually what's really fundamental is having an animal health in- infrastructure, the veterinary network that helps this vaccination programs actually work properly, helps with the education that you talked about so that people can understand the disease, understand about biosecurity and what we need to do in order to prevent the spread of the disease. Well, thank you very much for your time. I think that gives people a little insight into what was happening at this this conference and we'll keep following it in the future. Thank you and speak to you soon. Bye bye. As this year comes to an end, we're already looking at what conferences and meetings we're going to go to next year. I recently caught up with the organisers of two of those meetings. First, you're going to hear from Keith Sumption from the EUFMD, and I met him in Rome, so you can hear the Rome streets in the background. And then I had a chat with Anthony Chadwick of Webinar Vet to hear what they're doing at their virtual congress. I'm in Rome for a couple of, couple of meetings and very lucky to be able to grab a moment with Keith Sumption, Executive Secretary of the EU FMD. If you've never been to the FAO, we're up in the cafeteria looking over the Maximus Circus, the Circus Maximus, one of the best views for any cafeteria in the world, I think. The reason for catching up with you, Keith, is next month in January, you've got a EU FMD vaccine security meeting. I wondered if you'd just like to tell our listeners a little bit about what that's for. Thank you, Alistair. Yes, no, it's a pleasure to, uh, to do so. Uh, vaccine security for us is about the uh, security of supply of vaccines for emergencies or for preventive use against foot and mouth disease, but also similar transboundary diseases, what we might call fast diseases. Uh, These are ones in which governments or individuals need to to act quickly if they're going to uh, supply vaccines uh, for an emergency or to protect their livestock. What concerns us internationally is the lack of available supply of vaccines relevant for Uh, for animals, 
not just in Europe, but in the European neighborhood, and also affects the global ability of countries or um, organizations to respond to emergencies. So we're concerned to work together with the vaccine producers, who are key, key to the solution, with regulators, and uh, with a range of stakeholders at this meeting to, to work out how can we better secure the supply of the essential vaccines that we need? How can we uh, increase the rate that new technologies are coming into the field and can be used by governments? How can we ensure that the demands that exist out there in the endemic countries do get recognized by the vaccine producers into their investment plans. So we, we really believe that public and private need to work together if we're going to have a security of a vaccine supply. I think it's a great, great step forward compared to where we were five years ago. We're able to get people talking together in a great way. Who do you expect to actually be at the meeting? Uh, so far, we've had a high level of interest in the meeting coming from a range of uh, different stakeholders. Uh, there's a lot of interest from the private sector. Those are the ones who are producing vaccines because they would like a conversation around this whole area. Uh, there is uh, quite a lot of interest from risk managers who have to deal with uh, security of supply of foot and mouth vaccines, but also for lumpy skin disease, Rift Valley fever, other emergencies. Uh, the ones we also need there are regulators who are involved in the uh, authorization of vaccines. Now, I won't say necessarily they jump at coming, but they are also essential to the, to the process. The international organizations, FAO, OIE, uh, European Medicines Agency, um, quite a lot of interest. World Health Organization are um, willing to also share with us how they manage the pre-qualification, that is the authorization of vaccines to be eligible for use in human health. And that might be relevant also to how we want to uh, ensure security of quality vaccines on the animal health side. I think the pre-qualification will be a really exciting development. It's something we have missed. There are definitely poor quality, bad vaccines out there being used. So I, I think this is an incredible meeting that should be really powerful. It's going to be held in Rome. The dates, I think, were January the 22nd and 23rd. So anyone who is interested in coming, how would they register now? Uh, well, it is really an invitation meeting, but if, you want, if you're interested to register your interest, then, then write an email to uh, eufmd at fao.org and uh, stating the reasons why you'll be interested to, to attend, what your background is, uh, in this area and then we will get back to you. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, Keith. Good to see you again. Thank you, Alistair. Good morning, Anthony. I'm really pleased you've been able to join me so we can just discuss what's happening at Webinar Vet and the Virtual Congress next year, 2020. I think the Virtual Congress is being run in February, if I'm correct, and you can let me know whether that's right. But you're focusing, or you've got a section where you're going to be talking about rabies, which obviously for us is a very exciting area to hear you, you're looking at. You've got a couple of really good speakers, I believe. Could you just tell us a bit about those? Yeah. Hi, Alistair. 
we're, we're very, very fortunate to have two world-leading speakers speaking at our rabies conference this year, our rabies uh, symposium. We've got Sarah Cleveland, who's based up in Scotland, but has done a lot of work in in Africa, particularly around the Serengeti. Um, so she's going to be speaking on uh, rabies as well, towards the elimination of canine rabies. Um, and then we've also got Sergio Requenco, who's very well known in South America. And he's looking particularly at the different situation in rabies in South America and Central America, where hematophagus bats are very involved in that as well. So he's going to be talking about that. And the reason we've got a Spanish stream this time is, is because they're making such uh, good steps forward in Central and South America. And in fact, I think very recently, Mexico was declared rabies free, uh, which is, you know, a huge step forward in, in America, in the Central and South America. Yeah, that was about two weeks ago. I think they, they made the declaration. It was just after the Rabies in the Americas conference, which we also covered in the first podcast. I noticed on, on your website, I saw a fantastic infographic on rabies, just showing what's happening. And it, it's really nice image for people to just understand rabies a little bit more. What made you decide for the Virtual Congress that you were going to include rabies this in 2020? We've, we've talked about rabies in the past. So um, we've done the Virtual Congress. This, I think, is our eighth year. And as part of the work that we do at the Virtual Congress, our mission is very much to make veterinary education accessible and affordable to vets across the world. So on, on um, the last few occasions, about the last three or four years, we've had a one-for-one one initiative, which means we give away a ticket to vets in developing countries for every ticket we sell. And of course, rabies is such a significant disease in developing countries that we wanted to be giving content that was really relevant. Um, you know, I think it's truly awful that in 2020 we still have so many people and so many animals dying at what is a you know very horrible disease so it, it's something that i'm very passionate about and i know the team at webinar vets are also passionate about that we'd love to you know help in being part of the world health organization's uh, pledge to to try and get rid of human rabies by 2030 so any i think if everybody pitches in and and does a little bit then uh you know it it, it that, that sort of uh result is is attainable and possible definitely the more we build up a community of people working towards this the better we want to eliminate canine canine transmitted rabies by 2030 we're going to have 10 years from your your, web, your webinar next year. So that's a really good launch for that. And I think it's a lovely, lovely gesture from, from Webinar Vet that you give away a free ticket to the developing world for every ticket that you sell. It's difficult for vets in Africa and, and many Asian countries as well to be able to afford something like this. So having a link where you can give away a ticket is fantastic. You've got two of, I think, two of the leading people in the rabies world speaking. So that, that's an incredible opportunity for people to hear them and learn from them. After the virtual congress, we'll talk a little bit more about what they've talked about. We'll cover it in February in the podcast. For now, just so people know, how would they go about registering so that they can hear what these people have to say? 
We do obviously have some specific links, which I can pass over to you, Alistair. But if you went to the webinar vet site uh, and click on the virtual congress, you should be able to find, you know, how to get onto the rabies um, webinars as well. Sarah obviously will be speaking in English. Sergio will be speaking in Spanish. But post the, the actual day, so Sarah's going to be speaking on the 31st of January in the evening British time. And Sergio will be speaking early afternoon on the 1st of February, again, British time. Once the, the seminars are finished, we're actually going to be translating them into Spanish, English and Portuguese as well. That accessibility is wonderful because it really helps everyone hear more and spread the message further. Thank you very much for your time, Anthony. We'll hopefully talk again in February just to understand how everything went. Thank you, Alistair. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget that you can contact us at the email address ivh at merck.com. That's ivh at m-e-r-c-k dot com. I would love to hear your views on this podcast, and especially about the length. We're trying to keep around 20 minutes, so we need to know if we're about right. Have a great Christmas. You'll hear from me soon.